I love to listen to great communicators, uh, all types of great communicators, uh, even if they don't believe the way I believe. And there's a comedian by the name of Nate Bargatze, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him, the Tennessee kid. Anybody ever heard of him? Well, uh, he, he's a good, clean comedian. And in one of his bits, he, he says this, and I thought, man, it's so applicable. I almost showed you his video, but I didn't want you to want him instead of me. So I'm just going to, all right. And so in one of his bits, he, he talks about how in our brains, there's a dumb part of our brain and a smart part of our brain. How many know this is a true statement, right? Right. And sometimes the dumb brain wins more than the smart brain. But anyway, I know you don't ever struggle with that. And, 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 he, and he goes on in his bit. He says, the dumb side is so dumb that you can trick the dumb side of your brain. In other words, he says, and, and what's funny about this, what makes the bit funny, he says, well, both parts are in the same head. You know, like they hear each other talking, but the dumb part is so dumb that you can trick it. So, so, so if you're in a bad mood, they tell you, like self-helps people, they tell you, just fake smile, and the dumb part of your brain, when you, when you fake smile, will think it's really a good day, even though it's not, and everything will be all right. And his whole bit is, yeah, but both sides are inside our head. Like, you're part of the planning session going on, right? Like, you hear the planning going on. And, and I brought that up just to bring up this. I brought it up, first of all, to recognize the whole world has brain battle. Whether we're followers of Jesus or not, there's brain battle. But the second part, the reason I brought that up is, is I want us to recognize something. That, that I want us to recognize that self-helps, which is a huge building billion-dollar industry, it only goes so far in positive thinking. Come on. You can only talk to the dumb brain so much. How many know what I'm saying, right? Uh, you, you can only do so much. And so self-helps when it comes to critical thinking or positive thinking, as much as I love that, and as many uh, leadership and self-help conferences that I've got to be a part of and speak to, I always walk away going, myself needs to be a part of my own help, but myself falls short of all the help that I need. Oh, nobody wants to be honest here today, all right? Come on now. So, so what we need is not just self-helps, but how many would at least agree with this? We don't need just self-helps, but we also need some supernatural help when it comes to our brain battle. Amen, everybody? And, and so, and I was talking with somebody right before church about this, and I think you would agree with me that we're living in a world right now that is just, it's unprecedented in, in that it just feels like the world and the people in the world, it just feels like they're becoming more negative rather than more hopeful. We've lost hope in religion. We've lost hope in politics. We've lost hope in society. And, and, and because of that, there just seems to be this snowball burning and rolling out of control. Uh, and, and, we just, and it's easier when we are constantly bombarded with negativity, it's easier... Come on, you have to agree to become negative with the world. When all of our news sources and, and a lot of our pulpits and a lot of our friendships and, and a lot of our social media, when we bend naturally to negativity, what happens is it's easy to become negative. Now, one of my constant battles, and, and, and I'll share this with you in transparency, is fighting negative thoughts. Um, I hear a lot of bad news. I see a lot of bad things, much like you guys do. And so, and because of my early childhood pre 
rewiring in my brain, it is extreme battle that I've fought to be in my right mind. How many can relate to something like that, right? Like, like, like thinking everything's going to be good isn't a natural thought to me. Thinking everything's going to be bad is a natural thought to me. Uh, so I guess I was just saying that to say, you're witnessing a miracle standing up here in front of you, all right, everybody? So, because here's what I know, voices of the past can be fueled with the fuel of today's negativity, so you can have some negative seeds, some negative roots, some negative thought processes, and what happens if we're not in the Word and in Christ, then the world only adds fertilizer to what's been planted there. It's like a war of the worlds all over again, right in us, all right? And, and, and I think that the world's negativity, honestly, is poisoning our nation's mental health. Mental health is like out of control, and, and, and I mean, we have more anxiety and more depression and all those things, and I don't want to make this message about that, but we see mental health issues, and they're on the rise, and, and when we talk about mental health, this is not a practical problem. We've tried to reduce it to medicine, and we've tried to reduce it to self-helps, and I think all those things can help. I'm not, I'm not against those things, but I think one of the ingredients has got to be that we recognize it's not just a practical problem. How many would agree with me? It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. And if it's a spiritual problem on a spiritual level, then we have to have uh, help on a spiritual level. And, and that's what I feel like my assignment is. That's what I feel like my role is as your pastor, is to find out what are we battling with the most, and let's take what the Word of God says and apply that. Here's one of the things I've learned, is I know that our thoughts have incredible power. Would you agree with me on this at least? Our thoughts have incredible power. Now the lie to that is we might think we can't help it, that our thoughts have so much incredible power, but here's the good news as we dive into this series. We have power over our thoughts. Multiple times in Scripture, Paul, Jesus, the disciples, apostles, many of them tell us things like, think about this, think like Christ thought. And, and so, if the Bible ever is telling us to do something, then, then God doesn't just tell us to do something, but he gives us the power and the resources to follow through with the command that he gives us. And, and so, while our thoughts have incredible power, we have power over our thoughts, but that doesn't mean that we're going to change our thoughts without a battle. Come on now. 2 Corinthians, if you've been in church, you know this is the go-to verse. This is like the pediatrics of right thinking, but that's where we're going to start. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verses number 3 through 5, it says this. For though we live in the world, this verse is going to support everything I've just said. For though we live in the world, we do not wage world, war as the world does. The world is waging war against mental health with practicality and medicine. They're good. They're okay. But that's not where our war, that's not where our battle is, everybody. Okay? And, and so the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I mean, no, we need divine power. 
supernatural power, right? We need divine power to demolish the stronghold. If I was a scientist or a, or a doctor in this world right now, I would say we need divine power to demolish old paths that have been worn in our brain or old neural pathways in our brain, that we've created patterns of thinking that we would call as Christians strongholds. And what we have to do, and what my hope is in this series, is to let the grass start growing over the old path and start making some new paths on how we process thinking. Right, everybody? So that's the whole thought. We demolish arguments and every pretense. How many know you can hear good news in church service like this, and there's an argument for why that good news won't work for you. Come on. Anybody talk? Am I talking to anybody? I mean, I know you got it all together now, but at least one time in your Christian walk. Anybody? Yeah. And here's what happens. And I feel it. And see, God gives us preachers special discernment. I see the little emojis pop up over your heads. Like he's an idiot. I see when you're thinking that. See, those are arguments because when you're confronted with the truth, we often will argue, not even meaning to, but because of old neural pathways, we will argue why that can't work for you. Why that Bible verse and that spiritual principle doesn't apply to you. And every pretense, pretenses are things that pretend to be something they're not. We've never grown out of it. When we were little kids, we pretended there was a monster under the bed, and he was going to get us, but now we grew up and we have different monsters. All right. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, that's what I want to learn how to do, every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. Wow. And let me say it again, it's a little cliche, but what we think about in life is where we go about in life. Let me say it another way, your life goes in the direction of your thoughts. So where you're at right now in life is a direct result of the thought patterns and the thought processes we have. Mm. Oh, that's another series. Okay, and so uh, let me give you another verse found in Romans um, that I love this. I want to really build on this through this series. Those who live according to the flesh, watch this, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Okay? But now remember, we're born again now, so we're supposed to be being led of the Spirit, okay? not the flesh. That was a place to agree. Okay, all right. And, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, that should be us, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Because how many know there's a, there, there, there's a fight going on between what the mind, the old flesh wants, and what the new born-again Spirit wants? And by the way, you don't have, when I say new, that might be a, a misleader because you, new spirituality, you could be walking with Christ for 30 years, but there's still a battle going on, right? Okay, and, and the mind, this, this verse is so powerful. The mind governed by the flesh is death. So you're trying to figure out, why won't my marriage work? Why won't my finances work? Why won't my peace of mind work? Why won't my career work? Because when we are being controlled by old pathways or strongholds or old neural pathways, then the end is death. It's not producing what it should. Because I have a stronghold of the way I've seen mom and daddy act, and now I'm trying to act that way in my marriage and wondering why I'm no farther along than those that never knew Christ. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
So the mind that's governed by the flesh is death, but watch this. But the mind governed by the Spirit, this is where we want to be. It's life and it's peace, everybody. So as born-again believers, my question would be, why are so many believers walking around without abundant life and without peace? Because we haven't learned to cut new trails, new paths in our mind. Are you tracking with what I'm saying, right? Okay, so I have three goals in these last 30 minutes that we have. Three goals today. Number one is I want to show you why negativity is killing you. It literally is hurting you. It, it's killing marriages. It's killing finances. It, some of you don't believe that God could bless you financially, relationally. Okay, and so I want to show you how negativity is hurt, uh, hurting you. Number two is the point I want to make the biggest stress on today is I want to help identify the specific areas of negativity. This is new information for me because I used to think, well, negativity is just negativity, but we all have a seed or a root where that all grows from. We're going to discover that today. And then lastly, I want to talk about how we can win the battle of the brain. All right, everybody? So number one, why is negativity so harmful? That's the first thing I want to dive into. And, and, and let me just say, much of what we're going to talk about today is not original with me uh, in this series. And next week, I'm going to uh, give you a list of all my resources and sources where I studied. Uh, it'll be a little overwhelming because I read probably at least six books just to prepare for four messages, okay? So, but it, it, they'll be there if you want them. But this isn't all original with me. Studies have shown us that we have, all humans, we have, no matter how we're born or where we're born, we are born with a negative bias. So we naturally gravitate toward negativity. If you don't naturally gravitate toward negativity, you've done a good job cutting new neural pathways in your life. But we have, we, we, it's just our, I think it's because of the fall of man. I think it's because of sin. I think it's because we live in a fallen world and sin entered into the world. But it is true that we all, uh, we, we, lend to, we lean toward the negative, at least first. Now, some of us are good in noticing that and bending our brain back the other way, but science of the brain shows us that, in fact, I want you to put it up here, negative events imprint on our brains more quickly and linger longer than positive ones. Did, did you hear that? Let's look at it again. Negative events, if you think this is true, when we get to the end of the statement, just say amen so the others can see. Negative events imprint on our brains more quickly and linger longer than positive ones do. Okay, there you go. Uh, let me give you some proof, just not biblical but practical proof. What gets more attention on social media, negative or positive? Yeah, we, we did this thing one time, we had a pizza guy come in and bring us lunch when we were just still a little church of 100 people, and, and he brought us lunch, and we gave him a tip, and everybody gave some money, and we gave this dude like $250, $300 tip, and, and people took pictures of it, and they're like, oh, I want to be a pizza delivery, okay, and, and so people put, took pictures and put it on social media, and there was like a dozen or, you know, 20 positive, oh, that's wonderful, but one person made a negative comment. And the chain and the thread and the bashing for giving some poor teenage dude some money was unbelievable, everybody. It's because we lean that way. Come on, let, let's do another one. What news stories gets the most attention? Of course, right? In fact, their motto is if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> 
I mean, it's true. Whatever's the most negative. And here's what I've had to learn. Either I watch very little news or I just consider 90% of what they're saying is stretched out of the truth. I mean, it's not true. You, you hear what I'm saying, all right? And, and, and it's true. I talked about this last week. When we hear an insult, we will hear an insult faster and remember it longer than we remember a compliment. Okay, and, and we are conditioned to want, I don't know how this works in our brains, but we are conditioned to want to hear bad news more than good. That's why we have to be on guard toward gossip and rumors and, 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 and just uh, putting people down with our words. Um, and here's what happens when we hear all the negative. Here's what happens uh, neurologically in our brains. In our brains, it sends us into something that's constant. You've heard this, fight or flight. When you hear negative news, right? It, well, it's actually three categories. I don't know if the third category is original with me. If I might have heard it somewhere. I think it's fight, flight, or freeze. You know, it's like I'm going to fight. I'm going to run, or I'm just going to hope somebody else takes care of this, you know? Okay? All right. So when we constantly hear negative and constantly hear negative, it forces us into fight or flight. I'm going to fight you, or I'm going to leave you. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we're fighting flesh and blood, and we're running from flesh and blood. Isn't it interesting? I had a counselor one time told me, he said, Ken, because you lived with, um, with trauma for so long in your childhood without reprieve, it was constant, what happened is the fight or flight muscle in your brain overdeveloped, and the logic and the empathy and the compassion, it underdeveloped. So now you see everything like, we're going to fight. And, and, and so it took me a little while to get in the spiritual mental gym to start working out the other side of my brain. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Okay. And, and so it sends us into fight or flight. Now, fight or flight's not bad. God put that in us. What's bad is that fight or flight is really good until it never ends. And we get stuck in a cycle where every issue is fight or flight. Right? You guys tracking? And so if all we feed our brain is negative news and old messaging, then we get death. Right? Mind, let, let's put that back up there. The mind that is governed by the flesh equals death, and the mind that is governed by the spirit is peace. And guys, I am begging you as a pastor, you cannot go into the world and be governed by the flesh Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day Saturday, and come in here for an hour-long service, and that's all you get to fight the spiritual battle. It's frustrating as your drill sergeant to try to combat with one hour all the other stuff that we're dealing with, not to mention a childhood of stuff that we've never dealt with. Come on, we got to get serious about brain battle, right, everyone? Negative news poured in, negative self-talk, negative friend talk, negative social media creating negative neural pathways or negative ways of thinking or strongholds. Now, you've heard me define stronghold before, and all a stronghold is is a wrong way or a negative way of thinking. I would add, I don't have it on here, but it's a, it's a negative reaction to, to an action. So as Christians, we know how to act. But the more we tear down strongholds and create new ways of thinking, 
the more we know how to react. Come on, I want to take a survey, and I mean this. I want you to participate. How many of you as a Christ follower have ever gotten a situation and you've reacted in a way, you walked away going, man, I messed up? Mm -hmm. You cussed somebody out. You ran them off the highway. You shot them. Wow. Make sure you're at the cross after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But isn't it true? I've done it. And, man, I'll beat myself up like, oh, man, I had it all together. But I reacted in a way that hadn't been, hasn't grown enough yet. You touched on a nerve. You, told, you, touch, you stepped foot on an old neural pathway that I wasn't on guard for. Oh, man. I, oh, come on now, right? And, and so what happens is the stronghold, the wrong way of thinking, watch this, creates a habit of negativity. And some of us are walking around with negative thinking, and we don't even know it. We're walking around with negative thinking that's hindering our life from the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. All the while we're singing, all my life you have been faithful. But we still have old cow paths in our, I call them cow paths, all right? And, 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 and again, what we think about is where we go about. Okay, this is the part I want to camp on. Number two is I want to identify the specific areas of negativity. This is new information to me. I didn't realize that I could zero in on my negativity uh, so that I could fight the specific issue. And here's something I know. I have come to learn that if I can define it, I can defeat it. If I can't define what I'm fighting, I'm, I'm fighting in the air, right? And I'm rebuking everything as a devil. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, everybody? And so if I can define it, I can defeat it. Here's what my goal today is to help you define it. Uh, again, this isn't original with me. Greater minds than mine has figured this out. I'm just the messenger, but it makes sense, okay? So I want to give you four areas, and I'm going to call them the four negative buckets of thought. That get, Four negative buckets. I got four buckets up here. I think four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, okay. I got four negative buckets up here, and all of us have a tendency to put our strongholds or our negative thoughts in one of these four buckets. And so I want you right now, silently as I'm preaching, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you which bucket is the bucket that you're trying to lug around in life. Number one, the first bucket is relational cynicism. All right, that's the first bucket, relational cynicism. Some of us are carrying around this bucket. We're trying to live a life while Paul told us to be set free from everything that entangles us so we can run the race that is before us. Some of us are trying to run a race, have a marriage, have a career, have peace of mind, be free in Christ, have abundant life in Christ, but we got this bucket. And all of our thoughts are in this bucket. And this bucket is relational cynicism. Here's what relational cynicism is. This is a general distrust in people. For no reason. Sometimes for reasons, but sometimes for not. Just no reason. Just general trust. Here's kind of how it works. And don't amen, don't point, nothing like that, all right? It's a general distrust in all people. And it kind of goes like this. I'll give you some extremes of it. There's innuendos and there's subtleties to this. But it's like everybody's bad. Everybody has an angle. Don't trust anybody. Watch out for number one. It's you versus the world. Can't trust them. You know that Mark guy that's so friendly? Whew, I don't trust over-friendly people. 
You know Larry that's always praying? I don't trust people that always want to pray with you, huh? You know that pastor that's really, really, really trying really hard to be life-giving? I don't trust people like that, right? Because anybody that's a step higher than you, you don't trust them. And anybody that's a step lower than you, you don't trust them. And anybody that's on your same path, you don't trust them either. It's called relational cynicism. My dad was this way. And my dad, we'd be driving. I'd take him to a doctor's appointment. We'd be driving down the road and pass by a wealthy neighborhood where there's lots of beautiful homes and stuff. And he would just start cussing people out that he's never met. And he'd just start saying things like, oh, those people over there, and I can't say what he would say, but he, 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 he would just talk, talk about how bad they are. They've had to cheat. They've had to lie. They've had to steal. There's no way anybody could live in a house like Come on. And we distrust everyone, and when we distrust everyone, we can't have friendship with anybody. And so the church gets up and says, you need to be in a life group. you got to get a crew before your crisis, and you're like, skip you. I don't trust them people. I ain't going to their house. They probably poisoned the cornbread. I'm not going there, right? Come on. Everybody hear what I'm saying? And you just have, you don't even know why you resist it every time we launch life groups, but you just resist it because you have relational cynicism. Everybody's bad. Everybody has an angle. And it, 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 it has some, watch this, this will blow your mind. I'm not totally ready to go down this road. But when we have relational cynicism and we distrust everybody, psychologist tells us that it has some implication that we don't always trust our own motives. Remember last week when you're pointing at them, three pointing back at you. Remember that, huh? And, and this can always cause you to keep people at a distance. Watch this. And without even knowing it, you'll self-sabotage relationships. You, will start, you don't even know it, but you're picking fights over the dumbest things because you have cynical, uh, rela- relational cynicism. Mm-hmm. I know I'm talking to somebody. And you never get the benefit of having a really in-depth marriage, true intimacy, real friendship. This is who I am. You never get that wonderful benefit in life. Number two, the second one is negative filtering. You either have that bucket or you have negative filtering. All right? And you walk around with this. And here's what negative filtering is. Always seeing what's wrong. Always seeing the problem. Always waiting for the other shoe to fall. Can't even enjoy a good day because you're worried tomorrow will be a bad day. Can't even enjoy the blessings of God because you know the devil's bad and he'll get me tomorrow, right? And and, and you can't even, finding the worst, expecting the worst. Uh, Your mind will start, oh, the kids are late. Oh my gosh, I bet they've been sold in South America. They're slaves. They're five minutes late. They've been gone for an hour. It's impossible. How many know it doesn't have to be possible? It just has to be imaginable, right? That's what, that's what negative filtering does. It thinks of every possible scenario, and so it keeps you frozen. I can't get involved because of every possible scenario. You go to a restaurant. That's wrong. What's wrong with the restaurant? What's wrong with the date? What's wrong with my spouse? What's wrong with the church? What's wrong with the job? You guys hearing it? Now, I'm going to tell you a secret. And some of you will try to use this against me, but I don't care. This one right here is where I tend to lean. This is the one I have to constantly be on battle on, right here. Um, now, to the positive, it's made me a better leader. Because when I look at strategies, I, ca- I have strategy A, <laughs> strategy B, strategy C, LMNOP, 
Because my brain, because of my predisposition, my wiring between zero and five, that everything was negative in life, I am pre-wired to now think that there's going to be something go wrong. Now, the good thing is I've been able to turn that, um, and, and it's been good for my leadership. But watch this. It hasn't always been good for my mental health. Come on now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Serves me good in leadership because there is hardly anything that goes on and anything that I run that's going to surprise me. Because I've laid in bed at night going, oh, no, what if this happens? And I come up with a make-believe solution. Oh, what if this happens? And I come up with another solution. And I'll wear myself out coming up with solutions of things, 95% of which never happens. I imagine myself falling off the stage, and what would I say? I already got it down. So if I ever fall off, I want you to know I've got it pre-scripted already. Come on, last week were you in the first service? The power went out. I had that pre-scripted. A fire break, I got that pre-scripted. Come on. Uh, I mean, I got, some of you looking at me, mean. I got a pre-script for you too. I just want you to know, all right? Okay, so it's made me good as a leader, <laughs> but it's not been good for my mental health. I, I have a tendency to be a little bit of a worry wart, okay? Now, don't use it on me because I'll turn around and wall on you, okay? All right. Number three, the third bucket that we carry around is absolute thinking. This is what we've seen a rise on in America today, absolute thinking. It's polarized thoughts. It's because you have a different thought. I hate you. I don't want you in my circle. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to live in my neighborhood. I don't want you to attend my church. I don't want you to work in my job. It goes something like this. If a woman lies to you, all women are liars. No, all women aren't liars. One somebody lied to you right? Or, or if a man hits you, all men are animals and cruel. And, and if a church does you wrong, ah, I'm never going to church again. Really? You're going you're gonna to risk your eternal security because of one knuckleheaded group, right? Well, every boss, every authority. And, and if you disagree with somebody, you write that person off forever. And, and this kind of negativity has been on the increase, and it's easier and easier to get caught in these buckets, Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you're, you're, you're right, they are wrong, and it's black, and it's white, and, there's, and it's, it's polarized thinking. And here's what happens. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we try to do life, and we're walking around with more than one bucket. And the buckets in different seasons get heavier. It's, it's easier to go through life when, you, when everything's good, but what about when everything's bad and your natural thinking falls in one of these buckets and you're trying so hard to, to have victory and you're singing more songs and you're coming to church more, but you're not tearing down strongholds. It drives me nuts as a pastor to see people, oh, that was a good sermon. And I always want to say, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? How's it going to change the way you process your life? I could care less if anybody ever tells me again it was a good sermon. What I want to see is people take the material and empty the buckets and create new pathways. Come on. I know. Did that seem a little mean? Well, I got a bucket with me today, all right? Okay, so anyway, all right. Number four, the fourth one is, uh, here's the fourth one. The fourth bucket is blaming. So all of our strongholds, negative thoughts go in one of these four, and so the fourth one is blaming. Blaming looks like this. I'm always the victim. And by the way, something that's interesting I've come to learn about victims, victims can be the sweetest people in the world. Like, like some of these other knuckleheads, they're mean, like that, I hate everybody over here. Victims can be just so sweet, and they just, they just pour the syrup on. 
And underneath it all, it's just like, oh, poor little old me, would you care for me? And, 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 and here it is, they're always the victim. Watch this, and it's always someone else's fault why they're not farther along in life. Makes you think, here's what it does. When you put everything in the blaming bucket and you blame everybody else, my mom didn't warm my bottle enough, my dad was an alcoholic, the pastor didn't, the church didn't, the boss didn't, the politician didn't, the brother didn't. I mean, the list is endless, everybody. But somewhere along the way, we got to pour it out and look at the person in the mirror. Somewhere. Because what it does, it makes you think that you don't have any control in life. You're a born-again follower of Christ in all things, more than a conqueror, same spirit in you that rose Christ from the grave. But when you blame, it gives you the impression that, uh, that, that, that you have no control. My, my good day or bad day is all up to how somebody treated me. My good day or bad day has everything to do with some stranger in a car on Interstate 5. Come on, I'm telling you the truth. And, and, and we'll never get ahead because of my boss. We'll never get ahead because you know the Republicans. We'll never get ahead because you know the Democrats. Uh, we'll never get ahead because someone, right? And, and, and it's just always blaming. And, and these people have a tendency to be really hard on others and really strict kind of people. And, and in the Christian world, where we see blaming, and, and I see it a lot, in the Christian world where we see it is we blame everything on the devil, Come on. Easy on your amens right here, okay? Because there's some in the room. All right, so just easy. I don't want to condemn anybody. But the, just some Christians get in the habit of everything's the devil's fault. When everything's the devil's fault, it means we don't have to take any responsibility. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I was just rude to that person, but the devil made me do it. <laughs> right? Come on. Some of you, never mind. All right. I was going to say some of you remember Flip Wilson, but anyway, all right. All right, so let, let's come back to the third point and wrap this up. So I've got some bad news. I like hearing bad news first. And I got some good news, so here's the bad news. The bad news, it's really hard to change. I'm almost 60 years old, and the wiring happened in my life in the first five years. And I've been serving God my whole life. I'm in church every Sunday. Come on. I've read the Bible through lots of times. I preach every, I've been preaching every week for 37 years, and I still have a tendency to throw things in the bucket. You can't accidentally change. You gotta, if, you, if you won't identify it, come on now. And, and, and so, so the bad news is it's hard to change. You ready for the good news? You can. You can. All things are possible. I think I heard you quote that. All things. That's why this is a supernatural issue, everybody. There's this interesting study. I never thought I'd be that guy that brought TED Talks into Sunday morning, but this is a good one, all right? Uh, it's an interesting study that was done on a TED Talk, and, and here's what happened. They, they introduced, um, they, they uh, yeah, okay, let me, let me find my place. They introduced to one group, they went to one group of people, and they introduced this imaginary surgery. And, and I don't remember what it was for, you know, it doesn't matter, but it was a life-altering imaginary surgery that they had just developed 
to two groups of people. So the first group over here, they said, look, this imaginary surgery, it has a 70% success rate. Okay. Then over here to this group of people, they went over here and said, hey, there's this new imaginary surgery that can save lives, but there's a 30%, in other words, there's a 70% not success and 30%, right? You guys follow me? 30%, man, this ain't going to work. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. 30% this isn't going to work. And, and, so, and so the first group, they said, would you do this surgery? Is this good? And the first group agreed, yeah, that's a good surgery right there. 70% success? Absolutely, that's a good surgery. They came over to these people that said there's only a 30%. They told them there's a 30% chance of failure. Do you think that's a good or is that a bad surgery? And guess what they said? Yep, they said it was bad. Okay, well, that's not any big surprise. Okay, so then they went back, and they went back, and they changed the options. And they went back to this group and said, oh, yeah, 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 we told you it was 70% success. And they were like, yeah, that's good. But what we didn't tell you, and they re-narrated the story and told them and highlighted there's a 30% chance of failure. And guess what these people said? Come on. Oh, that's a bad surgery. That's, that's bad. Now watch this. So then they went back over to this group, the second group that had a 30% failure and said, that's bad. And they said, oh, let me re-narrate that. There's a 70% chance of it being successful. And guess what they said? They said it's bad. They said it's bad too. They didn't change. Because changing from negative to positive is very difficult. Now, I'm saying that not to discourage you. I'm saying that actually to encourage you that it's a battle, and we can't do it with self-helps. We can't do it by sicking the smart brain on the dumb brain because some people, none of you, have more dumb brain than smart brain. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, now I'm just having a little fun to make a point here, um, but, but the result is it's harder to change a bad perspective. It's harder to change. It's harder to change. The people, we can reach people that have never been into, Christ, uh, into church. We reach them kind of easy that have had prison backgrounds, violent backgrounds, drug backgrounds. We reach them easy. But let me tell you who's the hardest to reach. Somebody that's been in church and had a horrible experience. They want nothing to do with the God I'm talking about. None at all. And, and so you can change your thinking, but changing from negative to positive is not natural, and it's not accidental. Therefore, we need supernatural help. And I have to work, and God, I need his help. Come on, together. Now, let me wrap this up with point number three. Here's point number three. How do we change and win the battles? Next week, we're going to spend the entire time on this. But how do we change and win the battle? Let me give you one uh, story to look at. It's found in 1 Samuel. This is David. And uh, in 1 Samuel, chapter number, uh, I should have put chapter, uh, yeah, chapter number 30, verse, uh, that should be 1 Samuel, by the way. That's my bad. Uh, chapter 30, verse number 3 through 6. It says, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed. Ziklag was their home. 
It was destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Okay? So it's bad. They had just come back from war. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep at all. So they come home from war. Their village has been pillaged, and all the kids and the women are all missing. Their cities burned down. And, uh, and when, uh, yeah, go on to my next verse, it says, David's two wives had been captured. So you get that. David was greatly distressed because the men, the very men that he was on the team with, all experiencing the same bad, now his men want to kill him. That's like pouring salt into the wound, right, everybody? Okay. All right. Well, all right then. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But watch this. Here's where I want to end today. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I want you to get the picture. It would be like this. Let's say all of us, we're on the same team. We're in the same family. We're in the same, we're doing life together. And something goes bad that's tragic. And all of you turn on me, or you can pick yourself, put yourself in the story. The whole church turns against you, and now it's your fault because we have COVID. (laughs) It's your fault because we can't have church. It's your fault that I got to get a vaccine. It's your fault, you know, and they start pointing at you. Imagine the anguish of that. So now you don't even have your family or your friends or your crew encouraging you. Now you're literally alone. I mean, no, that would be a great place to put those events in one of these buckets. But David didn't. The Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. I like the way the King James Version says it. The King James Version says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, have you ever needed to encourage yourself? Anybody? Like you couldn't find your best friend. They wouldn't answer their phone. The church wasn't theirs. Others tried, but they didn't quite get what you were going through. They don't understand. So the question is, how do you encourage yourself? Well, you say, I'm good enough, Mm -hmm. and and I'm strong enough. And no, that's not how we do it, all right? That's the world self-helps, everybody. Um, We need to learn how do we encourage ourselves. Do you have a go-to verse? Do you have a go-to worship? Do you have a go-to prayer closet? Do you have a go-to friend? Come on, everybody. I just had a serious talk with somebody in this church. I said, you've been in this church two years, and every time you go into a problem, you call me. And I said, where's your crew? You've been here for two years. Where's your crew? I I love you, but I'm not your sum total to every equation that you come up with in life. Where's your crew? For two years, you've heard me say, get in a crew, get in a life group, get on a dream team. And for two years, you haven't. And for two years, every time there's an issue, you call me. That sounds mean, but I'm just saying that to say, I'm not Superman, everybody. I'm not the answer to every issue. But God created us to do life together right? And so you got to have a friend, and you got to have a verse, and you got to have a favorite book of the Bible, and you got to have a favorite worship list. And, and now here's what I know, and i got to f- speed this up. We don't know what David said to encourage himself. 
But we know what he said in other times. Let me give you some verses really quick. Psalms chapter 103. Here's something David wrote. Psalms 103. Do I have that verse? Yeah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All, now, he's not praising the Lord. He's telling his soul, his mind, his thinking to praise the Lord. This is important. Praise the Lord, my soul. My soul is my thinking. My soul is my psyche. My soul is the arguments I have with myself. Okay, so he's not saying, I praise you, Lord. He's telling himself to praise the Lord. He's telling his brain, brain, get it together and praise the Lord. And, and, and brain, in case you forgot, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What benefits? Yeah, I remember when the lion and bear came to attack daddy's sheep. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Goliath. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, oh, oh, the, the battles and oh, Saul throwing spears at me. I'm not going to forget all the benefits of all the times you've brought me through. All my life, you have been faithful. Hmm. Uh, how many have ever heard that verse before? Okay. Are you sure you did? Are, are you positive? Let me see your hands again. You heard, okay, because it could have been this verse, Psalms chapter 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what he said. Watch this. If you've heard that verse before, watch this. Was it that verse or was it Psalms 86, 15? Check this out. But you, Lord, are my compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. What? Abounding in love. What? And faithful. Have you heard that verse before? Are you sure it was that verse? Because it could have been this other verse. Let me check this other verse out. This other verse is Psalms 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. What? And uh, In other words, David wasn't original. He didn't have all hundreds of verses memorized. He had one line memorized. You're slow to anger. You're patient with me. You're rich in love. He had a go-to verse that he fought his battles with. He had a go-to verse. I'm fighting Goliath. I'm so glad that you're slow to anger and rich in love. Because the devil was probably telling him he was on an ego trip. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad. He went to this verse when he faced fall, uh, Saul. He went to this verse over and over and over. David wasn't very creative. He had a go-to verse. Here's what I'm asking you. I don't care if you memorize the Bible, but where's your one go-to verse? And watch this. If you want to get serious about this message, you need a go-to verse for every bucket that is represented here. Next week, I'll talk about how to find that verse. It's real easy. It's called Google. All right, everybody? <laughs> See, when David came across Saul, he didn't go to the Bible. Oh, man, I need a verse. I need a verse. I need a verse. He didn't. Uh, listen, the church is here for you, so don't take this wrong. But we didn't run to the church and go, oh, nobody's at the church. Man, how am I going to find a verse? Come on, right? Come on, you know enough now. Come on, you've heard enough sermons by now. you got to have a verse. you got to have a verse that, uh-uh, we're going to fight. Right? Okay. And, and so he had, he had one verse hidden in his heart, Psalms 119.11. Okay. But use the sword of the Spirit over and over and over. Okay, i got to end, but check this out relational cynicism, I'm just going to give you, a, I'm going to prime the pump. If this is you, here's a verse for you. Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, because I, I don't like anybody. I don't trust anybody. So when my brain wants to go down that pathway, I need to fight that stronghold with the sword of the Spirit. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You see what that verse is doing? It's fighting your feelings toward other people. You following what I'm saying? Okay, and, and so if, if your verse is negative filtering, I can tell you right now, this is a verse I go to almost every day of my life, right here. Philippians 4, 6. This is, this is like my, because I'll start freaking and spinning on things, and I'll say, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Do not be anxious about anything. Can I be anxious about a couple things? No. Be anxious about nothing. But in every situation, see, sometimes I'll feel bad about praying over everything. Oh, Lord, help me at Disney World today that I don't step on Mickey Mouse's toe. You know, I mean, it'll be stupid stuff. But God said, that's okay, pray about everything. Right? By prayer and petition, all right? And so here's another one. If absolute thinking is yours, Proverbs 16, 18. Here's what it says. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Mmm, come on. I'm absolute thinking. That means my way's right, your way's wrong. Wait a minute. When I go down that old cow path, I need to fight with the sword of the spirit and tear down a stronghold because I need supernatural weaponry, right? Pride goes before fall. Oh, that helps me put things in perspective. And then lastly is blaming. First Peter chapter uh, chapter number five, right? Because I'm blaming. I'm anxious. Everybody's doing me wrong. So why not cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you? Uh, I'm not going to cast my anxiety on you and blame you. I'm going to cast my anxiety on God because he cares for me. I'm out of time, but that's all we got for today. Will you receive that today, everybody? All right.